thought of this uh, time in uh, my son's life when he was preparing to be baptized. I had this workbook that we work through and kind of the foundations of our faith. And one of the verses that he was asked, uh, they asked him to memorize was Psalms 122, verse 1. And the verse says, let us go. Uh, actually, it says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. But my son, being the passionate young man that he was at the time, uh, was very emphatic about how he said it. He would say, let's go to the house of the Lord. <laughs> let's go. I mean, I just never forget that. My prayer is that when God calls you, you respond in the same way to serve him. So we're going to practice that right now. God is calling you. What do you say, church? I love it. I didn't even have to ask twice. Awesome. Moses was called at 80 years old to go and lead his people to serve. And Moses didn't have that response that you just had. He actually had a lot of excuses, five of them. And three of them I shared with you last week. The other two I share this week and then kind of finish off chapter four. Now, I want to recap because I want you to get the whole perspective of all of these excuses. So this is going to go real quick here with the first three excuses. But in verse 11 of chapter um, four or three, uh, Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I? I'm a nobody, God. Why would you pick me? Excuse number one, I'm not good enough. And God's response to that is a phrase that God will repeat often. In fact, Jesus said the same thing. He said, I will be with you, Moses. And God says that to you today. I will be with you. When God calls you, he will be with you. I love how God overcomes every one of Moses' excuses. So here's the first one. When God calls you, he will be with you. Then in verse 13, Moses says to God, well, I don't really know who you are, God. I don't know much about you, God. And um, that's because Moses grew up in a, a pantheism religion. That means that the universe is a manifestation of many gods. And he's like, I don't, I don't really know which God are you, what, who you are. Can you just tell me a little bit more about you? And God's response to Moses is a foundational truth for us today. It's of the utmost importance that we understand who God is. And you should know that our God, the one that we worship here at Life of Purpose Church and what Christians worship all over the world, is the God uh, who has a special name. God said, I am who I am. Now that is a lot of words for one Hebrew word, and that consists of four letters. The name I am who I am means that God is self-existing and self-sufficient. He always was and he always will be. There's only one true God. All the other gods that people worship are not really gods. They're false gods. And Moses was told by God that my name is Y-H-W-H. And that was the Hebrew language, only consonants, no vowels. And so how do you pronounce that? And I taught you last week, they didn't pronounce that. Um, because they had so much reverence for God's name, they didn't pronounce it. It was later on when they took some vowels from Adonai, which is the name for Lord, and Elohim, which is the name for God, and they inserted them into YHWH, and they came out with Yahweh. 
And then later on in the 16th century, they inserted another vowel and they came up with Jehovah. So if you ever hear someone call God Jehovah or Yahweh, it's referring to this time, this very first time in Scripture when God reveals himself to Moses as Yahweh. I am the all-sufficient, self-existing one. And we see this truth that when God calls you, he will teach you. If you want to know about God, he will teach you about himself. If God calls you, he will teach you. Then in chapter 4, verse 1, Moses tells God, well, I know that you're calling me, but I don't think the Israelites will believe me. There's two and a half, three million people there, and when I get there, they're not going to believe that you appear to me. How will I prove it to them? Um, You might remember what God did. He gave them um, something interesting to use, and that was Moses' rod, right? Um, But in essence, Moses is saying his excuse is, is, I'm afraid. I'm worried. And I asked this question last week. Do you ever worry about stuff that never actually happens? Yeah, I got some feedback last week. Apparently that resonates with a lot of people. Uh, You worry about stuff that never actually happens. Today you're going to find out that it never actually happened. Um, You're going to see in the end of chapter 4. But God's response to Moses' worrying, take what's in your hand, you're a shepherd, you have a rod, and put it in my hand. And when you put what's in your hand in God's hands, it becomes all-powerful. All-powerful. That's the truth today. David put his slingshot in the hands of God, and he killed a giant named Goliath. Samson put the jawbone of a donkey in God's hands, and during wartime, he killed a thousand men with one jawbone of a donkey. When God calls you, he will be your strength. So that's how God overcomes those three excuses of Moses. And I think those excuses are very real to us today. I think they're very relevant. I have used those excuses myself. I shared to you my own example when God called me to serve to lead middle schoolers in a Bible study, and I didn't know what I was doing. I'm like, you want me? I don't know anything. I'm a nobody. Why would you ask me to do that? But God can overcome our excuses. Who am I? Who are you? What about those other people? Those are the excuses that God overcame. And now we move on to excuse number four. And Moses is going to focus once again on himself, specifically his biggest weakness. I know you guys don't have any weaknesses, so this probably won't be too relevant for you. But bear with me, all right, if you might have a weakness or two that you might think of here. Verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past Or since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and of tongue. So excuse number four for Moses is, I got a big weakness, God. I'm going to tell you something. I really feel that the devil will target your biggest weakness. I believe that to be a truth seen in Scripture. He attacks your biggest weakness. There's that one thing in your life that's always been a struggle. That one thing that has caused you a lot of grief and a lot of trouble, and over and over and over and over again in your life, you failed because of this one thing. And you know what that is, because you generally hide it from most people. You don't want anybody to know about that one thing. There might be a couple of people in your life that know about that one thing, but you don't want to let anybody know. And the devil knows. He knows. And he accuses you. He slanders you. Because the devil, the word the devil is diabolos. It means false accuser. And that's what he'll do to you. He'll target you. And he'll target that specific weakness. 
Whatever it is in your life, whatever your biggest weakness is, and by the way, if you don't know what that big weakness is, you can just ask your family. They will gladly tell you what it is. Amen? Yeah, family, man, they're brutally honest, especially brothers and sisters. For Moses, his big weakness was his speech. He says, I'm slow of speech and tongue. And because of that, some believe, actually it's a common belief, that Moses had a stuttering problem. That he had a stuttering problem. Well, if that's actually true, then Cecil B. DeMille, who uh, um, directed or produced uh, the, the um, famous movie, um, what's the famous movie, Cecil, Bill, Cecil B. DeMille? Ten Commandments. Don't you remember staying up? This is for the old folks, okay? Uh, don't you remember staying up? I mean, I, I just, for, what was that, like a five-hour movie or something? It was forever, right? The Ten Commandments. Well, if, 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 if Moses had a stuttering problem, Charlton Heston is the worst pick ever because he was the most eloquent speaker ever. Let my people go. Like, he was good, right? I mean, he was awesome. You don't pick that guy to be, he can't stutter. Like, he's too good. I personally don't think Moses stuttered, okay? I think that he just had a fear of public speaking. If you look at Acts 7.22, Moses, uh, this is Stephen, by the way, his, his understanding of Moses. He says, Moses was introduced, instructed excuse me, in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was mighty in his words and deeds. That was Stephen's understanding in the New Testament, after Jesus was crucified and rose from the grave, that was the Jews' understanding of who Moses was. That when he was a young man in his like, 30s and 40s, 20s even, he, he, could, he had his mighty in his words and deeds. So I think, this is just me thinking, that Moses probably just had a fear of public speaking. That he didn't like that. In fact, there's probably some of you that would rather die than speak in public. Because I've asked some of you, hey, would you like to come up and share your story? And you're like, no, never. I'll never get up there. And then there's a couple, you know, that get up here and then preach the whole sermon for me. We won't say any names, but you know who they are. <laughs> Moses could have overcome his fear as a young man by lots of practice. Think about it. If you've ever had to give a speech before, or ever had to get up in front of other people and talk, and you were deathly afraid of it, you could do it if you practiced enough. If you, and I think that's maybe where Moses was at. But now, the life of Moses, he's just spent 40 years in the desert, and his main conversation is with sheep, because he's a shepherd. It doesn't take much courage to talk to sheep. I mean, how many words do you have to say? You know, I don't know what the commands are, but, you know, go, <laughs> stop. <laughs> you know, it's not hard. So maybe it was this fear of public speaking that caused Moses some anxiety, which then had him give this excuse to God, I'm slow of speech and tongue. I don't really want to try to overcome this weakness again, God. Then Lord said to him, verse 11, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, Moses, I will be your mouth. I will teach you what you shall speak. How does God overcome this excuse? God can turn your weakness into a strength. 
God can take that biggest weakness, that one thing in your life that you're so afraid for everybody to know about, that you may be hiding right now. Nobody, nobody you think even knows about it. God does. The devil does. God can take that and make it one of your biggest strengths. There's a man that I've uh, shared with you about before that I've always been very inspired by. I've read a couple of his books. I've watched uh, him speak many times. His name is Nick Wojcicic. And he has, was born with no arms and no legs. As a teenager, or as a child, he was bullied because he has no arms and no legs. He had, I, we say he has no arms. He'll tell you he has a flipper. All right, He has one leg that's kind of like a flipper, and he can do some interesting things with that, with, with um, technology and such. But he was bullied as a young boy. And as a teenager, he tried to take his own life. He tried to commit suicide. His weakness was this physical ability, or lack of, therefore. And God intervened in his life. God rescued him. And now this man speaks all over the world telling his story of hope. And when he speaks, he looks at the crowd and he says, Look at me. Look at the way God made me. And I used to see that as a weakness. But God has now used that as a strength, and I tell my story, and he has inspired millions all over the world. He continues to do that with his ministry, and he always points people to Jesus Christ. God can take your biggest weakness and make it a strength for his glory. Amen? The final excuse is in Exodus chapter 4, verse 13. Moses says to God, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Isn't this the heart of the problem right here? I mean, just please. <laughs> just send somebody else. But really, here's the excuse. I don't want to go alone. I don't want to go alone. Isn't that a lot of times our excuse? We just don't want to go alone. There's been many times that uh, I've been doing work up here at the church by myself, and I lose... Uh, energy quickly when I'm by myself doing a task. Uh, I just, you know, oh, okay, I'll just cut it short, I'll, I'll head home or whatever. But if somebody is here with me, it's amazing how much I can get done with somebody else helping me. I love it. Isn't that true, though? I mean, if someone's helping you, you really can go much farther. Moses is saying, I don't want to do this by myself. I don't want to go alone. You're calling me to lead all these people? I don't want to do it by myself. And when God hears that from Moses, God's response is kind of interesting. Verse 14, just the first part. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. God stoked the fire. Moses used to have eyebrows. <laughs> he does not anymore, standing next to that burning bush. Have you ever opened up the oven when it was on really hot and then stuck your face right down there too quick? It melts your face. Ladies, you, you, you had makeup on, now it's all melted, you know. Yeah, that's what Moses got, all right? God turned up the heat on him. Um, God then goes on to say, Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know he's a good speaker, and he's coming to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be so happy, glad in his heart. And you will talk with him, and you will put words in his mouth, I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. He shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. 
Take in your hand that staff with which you shall do the signs. You know, I understand, Moses, you don't want to go alone, so I'm going to give you your brother to help you. Oh, how nice it is when you have a brother in Christ to help you, when you have a sister in Christ to help you in ministry. And, and God says, by the way, don't forget your rod. I don't know if Moses had a like, forgetting problem or something, because he's like, don't forget that rod. That's, that's God's rod. Don't forget that. So this last excuse, I think, exposes our own problem, even if we know God has called us to go and serve. Sometimes we just don't go because we're afraid to go alone. We need help. We need a support system. So here's the truth. When God calls you, he will send helpers. When God calls you, he'll send helpers. Aaron's on his way to help Moses, and so Moses is now going to head back. Remember, he's out in the wilderness. He's out in Mount Sinai where he sees this burning bush, and now he's got to head back. It's a long trip back, and he's going to head back to Midian where he lives, where his family is, his wife Zipporah, his two children, and his father-in-law Jethro. And kind of the first thing he needs to do is get permission from his father-in-law to leave Midian and go to Egypt. He can't just go. He has to get permission. So Moses goes back, verse 18, to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he says to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see if they're still alive. Jethro says to Moses, go in peace. There's the blessing. The Lord then speaks again to Moses and says, go back to Egypt. All those men who were seeking your life, because remember he murdered an Egyptian and thought he would get ahead of God and come up with his own plan. And so they're all dead. Go ahead and go back. It's been 40 years. So Moses takes his wife and his sons and they ride on a donkey and they head back to Egypt. And Moses takes the staff of God in his hands. He keeps mentioning that. I like, guess it's a big deal, this, this staff. So here's what I get out of this passage here. Um, talking about Moses' support system here. He needs help. He want, doesn't want to go alone. He wants support. And he has the support of his father-in-law. I love it when in-laws are not outlaws. <laughs> Don't you? Family gatherings can be unbearable if your in-law is an outlaw. And by outlaw, I mean villainous. Like, you're sure, 99% sure, that in some other state, they are wanted. They are a criminal. <laughs> if, you have any <laughs> if you have any outlaws, just come see me after service. We'll have a special prayer time for you, okay? <laughs> I'll, I'll pray with you. You know, holidays are coming up. You're going to have to face them. Um, but Jethro is nothing of the sort. He's a fantastic father-in-law. And um, if you, by the way, have wonderful in-laws like Jethro, just thank them this Christmas season. Um, say a special uh, prayer for them. Praise the Lord for them. Jethro, Jethro gives Moses his blessing. And so Moses and his family are heading back to Egypt, before you go on a road trip, you got to get prepared, especially if you have kids. You have two boys. Anybody going on a road trip this holiday season? Okay, you know that you got to get everything prepared. So they got it prepared. They got the Ford donkey all packed up. It hauls donkey, don't you know? Nobody got that one? Okay, another word for donkey. Snacks for the kids. Everyone goes potty. All right, DVD movies are all set on each saddlebag of the donkey. I don't know how that works. Coffee thermos is full, and they're ready to go. And they're taking this big, long trip, and they're on their way, and they travel for a very long time, and they get tired. So now they're going to pull over and rest. I don't know where the rest areas are on the way back, but they're pulling over to rest, and they're going to get a good night's sleep. At least they think they are. 
because the strangest thing happens. If you read this for yourself in chapter 4, you will get to these verses and you will be like, what is going on? Why is this happening? I don't understand. Have you read chapter 4? Do you know what I'm talking about? Folks, you've got to read your Bibles, all right? Read your Bibles and uh, you will get so much out of it as I go through each verse, verse by verse. Verse 24 says, At a lodging place on the way back to Egypt, the Lord met with this family and sought to put Moses to death. Like, this doesn't make sense. Why would God take all of that time to work and overcome all of Moses' excuses, all five of them, and then get him to go? And he finally goes, and now he's going to kill him? This doesn't make much sense, does it? It's confusing, right? What's going on? Why is the Lord mad at Moses? Well, the answer is, as we find out here, Moses had been disobedient in the past. Sometimes when God calls you to do something, you may get excited, okay Lord, I'm ready, I'm going to serve you, but there's something in your past that you haven't dealt with. And let me tell you, God is going to deal with you on that past thing. You've got to get that taken care of. And really, all it is, is going to the Lord and asking for forgiveness. And God forgives you. So you've got to deal with this. What is this thing that has gotten Moses to the point of, like, he is almost dead. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know, we don't see what happens exactly here, but clearly Moses had some kind of illness. Like, we don't know if it's, like, all of a sudden, like, you know, a virus of some sort, but, like, he is dying. He is dying. We know that he's dying because of the response of his wife and what she does. But he is physically dying at this point. And Moses' um, God's words here don't, don't mean that he's going to kill Moses. It means that this is how serious he is. Because let's be honest, if God wants Moses dead, he'd be dead, right? I mean, God is sovereign. God is in control of everything. And here he, does it, he wants Moses to deal with this issue that's going on. What's the issue? What's going on? What, 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 what is it all about? Um, aren't you glad you're in a Bible-teaching church so I can tell you what it's all about? I'm not here just to entertain you. Right? You want to know what's going on. Well, we have been talking about um, what happened in the past, and when I started Exodus, I started with a promise that God gave to Abraham in the book of Genesis. And that was important because everything that the Israelites go through always comes back to the promise that God had given Abraham. That promise, there was lots, of, uh, lots to the promise, but it was basically to make them into a nation. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob is Israel. That was his name that God gave him. And Israel grew into a mighty nation. And he was, all that, the, the, that nation was in slavery to Egypt, but in that nation, there was something that they had to do. God credited to Abraham righteousness because of what? His faith. A lot of people get this wrong and they think it's because he circumcised Isaac. No. His, the circumcision came as a result of his faith. God told Abraham to circumcise his child on the eighth day and that all Israelites should do this as part of the promise. It's not so much 
as they often, as you read the New Testament, you'll realize this circumcision is a huge deal to Jewish people. Huge deal. Still is today. It's a big deal. And they think it's part of their salvation. It's like uh, someone who believes in Christianity that if you baptize your baby, you're saving your baby. That's not what God ever said. That's not what it does. Baptism doesn't save you. Your faith is what saves you. The grace of God is what saves you through faith. As we've been studying this in the book of Romans on Wednesday nights, come out and check that out. We're going verse by verse through Romans. So Abraham and, and the people of Israel knew that part of this promise was that we respond with faith by circumcising our baby boys on the eighth day. Well, guess what Moses didn't do? He didn't circumcise his two boys. And I don't know how old they are at this point, but they're a lot older than eight days old, and they're heading back to Egypt, and he hasn't done this thing. And based on what, what happens next, could be that Moses is so sick he can't do it himself, but as what happens next, I think the backstory here is, wish we could know the backstory here, you know, what happened back when the babies were born and Moses was like, okay, it's the eighth day, honey. I got my knife. I'm going to do this little procedure. And Mama was like, no, you're not touching my boy. I don't know if that's the backstory, but there was serious division here. There was a problem here between these two that they did not circumcise their boys. Verse 25, this is the response. Zipporah, his wife, took, like, like Moses is dying. She's freaking out, okay? The boys are freaking out. Zipporah takes a flint and circumcises, cuts off her son's foreskin, uh, and then touches Moses' feet. <laughs> That's so gross, is it not? <laughs> and then she says something that, you know, what? Did she just, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. What is that all about? What does that mean? I'll tell you, okay? But verse 26, look at the response. Look at what happens. God let him alone. God healed him. So this was the issue. This was the problem. This was why Moses was sick. Because of this issue of circumcision. And Moses is healed because his wife circumcises and she touches his feet with the blood. It was then, she says again, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So what does blood represent? Moses, uh, the, the Israelites understood this. Blood, the blood is the life. If you bleed out, you die. Blood is life. In Moses, uh, God will establish through Moses a, 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 a way to atone for the people's sin. How is your sin atoned for, forgiven? How is it forgiven? They would take an animal, a lamb, and they would sacrifice the lamb, and the blood would be sprinkled on the altar as a way to atone for the sin of the people. And so the blood was always representing life. And so why does she touch his feet with it? Because she's, she's giving him life. The blood, is it, that's where the life is. So yeah, it's gross. Okay, I really don't want that on my feet, but you know, this is about saving his life. And so she does that and he's restored. 
And her words are interesting. And basically, it's just a, it's, it's her way of just processing this, like, this grief and just what this whole scenario has been, this fight that they've had perhaps uh, for a long time about circumcision because she basically calls him a bridegroom of blood, which um, could be translated groom of gore, um, mate of misery, husband of horrors. Like, this has just caused me so much pain. Like, this, is, this has been a problem in our marriage, and she's not happy about it. And what's really interesting is what happens next is she goes back to Midian with the boys. Moses goes alone to Egypt. And I know sometimes stuff happens like this in Scripture, and we think, whoa, that's not good, man. Like, that separated the family. But she'll come back in Exodus 18, okay, which you think that's a long time, but it's really not that long. There's a lot that's going to happen in the next uh, several chapters in Egypt. But she will reunite with the family. They don't get divorced. They don't separate here. She will reunite. But I bring this up because if you're married with children, you might be able to relate to this story. You know, you might have had a disagreement with your spouse about how to raise your kids. You might. You know, I, I know I, it's probably not that relevant to everybody here today, but um, it's possible kids can cause division between husband and wife. I think it's actually probable, if we don't be careful. And I use that, uh, this story, this true story, to remind us, folks, that our spouse should come first. Our spouse has to come first. And I've seen it happen many times, um, the situation where husbands and wives choose their kids over their spouse. And that is not good, because when God calls you to serve him, you need your spouse's support. You need their, their support. And here, Zipporah, you know, she saves the day. She's here to support her husband. Now, it's caused her a lot of pain and grief, but she does what needs to be done, and she saves her husband's life. And that's a wonderful thing. And I will tell you that as a pastor, uh, with all of, when, when, you, when you put yourself in a position of leadership in God's church, the devil's coming, and he will try to attack you. I've had so many different pastors share this with me, and you need your spouse's support, and I need my wife, I need Jamie's support, and so I take this time to thank her. Um, she has uh, made a great commitment um, so that I could be here full-time for this church, and I'm thankful for all the sacrifices that she makes for me, that she makes for our family, and as your worship leader, she makes a lot of sacrifices for you. You don't know the things that she has to give up um, to be the worship leader, to take the time to do that. Um, she chooses the songs that uh, we play, and she um, sings them for Jesus every single week. She's... She's uh, incredibly faithful and trustworthy and loving, and if you know her at all, you know she's filled with empathy. Uh, if you cry, she's going to cry right there with you. Uh, that's her gift. You don't have to ask her. Um, I'm very thankful for her support. So thank you, Jamie, for all you do. appreciate it very much. We need our spouse's support. We need our family's support. 
if we're going to do what God has called us to do. Amen? So we finish this chapter with Moses facing those people. Verse 27, the Lord says to Aaron, Go into the wilderness. So God spoke to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went and he met him at the mountain of God. He kissed him like a brother. I know sometimes it weirds people out, but you know, culturally, you know, understand what's going on there. Verse 28, Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs that he commanded him to do. Moses and Aaron then went back to Egypt, gathered together all the elders of the people, all the important people, come meet with us. And Aaron spoke the words, and God spoke uh, through Moses as he did the signs in front of the people. Remember those signs, you know? Took that rod, threw it down, turned into a snake, right? Took it back up, did the old leprous hand trick, right? Remember that? Okay. And he took some water from the Nile, poured it out, it was blood. Also, the people would believe that God appeared to him. And verse 31, I love this part, the people believed. The people believed. Remember, it's been 480 years of silence from God. And now God has finally appeared. He's finally working through someone, through Moses the prophet. And they heard the Lord, and they, that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and they had seen their affliction. God knows what we're going through. We're slaves and we want out of this land. And they bowed their heads and they worshipped. I love that part. I love it. Remember how scared Moses was? Remember how worried Moses was? When I go see these people, and look at it, it never happened. They worshiped God. They praised God for now. <laughs> They're stubborn people, just like us, as we know the story. As the, if you've ever read Exodus, you know what's, what's going to come. I love the season that our church is in right now. I love this season because... Many of us are hearing God calling you. We're all, we're all hearing, and, and, and God is calling you to go and serve. And you're doing that. You're doing that. And that's so important, because we are called to go and make disciples. God said go, and we are going. And we're not doing it alone. We're doing this together. Every single Sunday, someone comes to life of purpose for the very first time. And honestly, it's because you probably invited them. Someone invited them, a friend, a family member, and they heard about what's going on here. Every week, throughout the week, you are sharing the love of Jesus with other people. Some you've never met before, some who you work with, you go to school with, you're doing that. And that's so encouraging, because when I hear that you're doing that, I want to do that with you. Because we're not in this alone, we're doing this together. And that's, that's what it's supposed to be. That's what a church is supposed to be. It's not 10% of the people doing 90% of the work. It's all of us working together. We're, our, my job, if you ever wondered, it's in Ephesians 4, my job is to equip you, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. Not for me to do all the work. It's for you to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. And so I look forward to what God is going to do here in St. Clair Shores in 2023 because we are doing what God has called us to do and that's to go and make disciples. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, 
you are so good to us in so many ways and you've provided for us a building, you've provided for us the funds to support ministry after ministry after ministry. Lord, the, the families that, that we get an opportunity to bless um, this Christmas season, the, the food pantry and the baby pantry and the clothing pantry and just the countless things that we're doing to, to glorify you, to lead people to you, Lord. We don't do it to make ourselves feel better. We do it because it's what you've called us to do. And Lord, more than anything, as we see from the example of your son Jesus, that we don't just meet physical needs to meet physical needs. We do it to lead and meet spiritual needs because there is a hunger in us for you, God. Every person in this world has a God-sized hole. Lord, only you can fill it. But the beauty of it is, is that you use us to do it. You use us. And God, as you've called us, let us not have any excuses, but let us just say, let's go. Let's go. Father, keep using us in this place. I thank you. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen.